You're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you are new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Even though we are going to be discussing Episode 8 in Tangled Bank, we will be discussing it in context of the entire first season. So if you have not seen the first 10 episodes, beware that there might be spoilers ahead for you. And we are talking about Episode 8, which has all the established couples on the show are are getting kind of sexy. They're getting kind of sex in this episode. I have to say, this is one of my favorite episodes of the series thus far. Is it because everybody's getting kind of sexy? That's part of it, I guess. But I, I don't know. I Not that I don't like Sarah, but I, I like that we get, again, we get more of Allison and Kasima in this episode because Sarah, you know, is so dominant in the first part of the season. It's nice in this back part of the season. We're getting to know the other clones a little bit better. Agreed. I do like a good ensemble even though it's all Tatiana Maslany. Yes, I know. <laughs> but really, that just makes it better. It does. It really does. I was having a weird moment. I think it was, I think it was during this episode where I was just like looking at the screen and, you know, I, I've watched it numerous times, as have many of us. And like, I'm still just sort of having this weird moment. I'm like, I know it's the same person, but it doesn't feel like the same person. <laughs> Yeah, it it really it really doesn't. And and I have a similar thing where I'll be watching the main credits of the show where that goes through the, you know, the the credited actors. And every once in a while I get really annoyed where I look at the main credits and I'm just like, "Man, there's only two female cast members on this show." But then I have to remind myself, "But yeah, one of them plays right now, you know, four Kind of five, if you can include Rachel, but, you know, four prominent characters. So, yeah, there's only two female cast members, but there's way more female characters in the main ensemble. So, yeah, it's weird. But, yeah, I really like this episode. We Sarah kind of gets to step back a bit. I feel like Allison really has the strongest through plot of the episode. Sarah gets to do some stuff, but Sarah gets a lot more kind of character moments, which is nice for her. And, and yeah, I just really enjoy Entangled Bank. Yeah, you're right. Allison is where the action is, so to Quite speak. Quite literally. This episode. As well as figuratively, yeah. <laughs> but let's start off with Sarah, since we always start off with Sarah, because you kind of have to. Because she's the, she's the center of the show, even though, you know, so many other fantastic characters. But I, I love the sibling stuff that we get to see between her and Felix in this episode. Yes. I mean... That scene where she's sticking her foot in Felix's face. I mean, I, I think anybody who, not, not even anybody who has siblings, but anybody who has ever been around siblings has seen that play out in real life. Yes. Yes. And I just think the, it's just like, it, it, it's kind of a throwaway scene. It doesn't really accomplish anything, but it's just so lovely to get to see the dynamic between Sarah and Felix in that moment. You're right. I mean, it, it is. The, and the whole, does it smell bad? Yeah, it smells like a foot, except worse, because it's yours. Because it's your foot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, anybody who has known siblings has seen that happen. Yeah. I'm pretty Because sure. you and I both are actually only only children. So we, we personally do not have siblings. But yes, being around siblings, I have seen this play out at least a dozen times between, you know, once for, for each each sibling pair. Pretty much. But we also see in this episode like, some other stuff that kind of plays out 
a bit like like sibling arguments with between Sarah and Kasima. They had we had them be kind of antagonistic toward each other in the previous episode, but they're in full on angry with each other this episode. It seems like, and it's kind of interesting because it is it's a not dissimilar dynamic, I think, from what we see with Sarah and Felix. And I can't remember if we actually talked about this before, if it was just something I was thinking about, that there's this ongoing thing of Felix telling Sarah to not do something, like, don't answer the phone, and then she always answers the phone. Right. And so we sort of have the same thing. Sarah's always telling Kasima not to do stuff, and then Kasima just does it anyway. So right, it's sort of the same dynamic, sibling dynamic. Yeah, we have talked about that before. And I agree. It's very much this, you tell me not to do this, heck with you. I'm going to do what I want. (laughs) You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. I do what I want. Yeah. But they they are quite hostile to each other in this episode. And I think Sarah has a, a good point. You know, they don't really quite know the organization's intentions toward them. Sarah's actually suffered the you know, the probing and the, and the, well, maybe they didn't probe, but the, the experiments on, in their sleep and, and Kasima has not been through that. It seems like at least from what we can tell. So I feel like Sarah has a point, but Kasima's just kind of not really receptive to listening to her. Sarah says, well, don't do that because then this will happen to you. And I think Kasima says, well, maybe it already has. So yeah, we're not really sure how much has happened to who diagnostic wise but at the very well that's true but i feel like but kasima just says maybe it already has sarah's like found an electrode she has a more immediate experience of what it feels to realize that somebody's been doing something that you weren't aware of and kasima i don't think it seems like has not gone through that so i feel like sarah has a different has a very different perspective than kasima does in regards to neolution because of that yeah i mean that's that's valid but yeah i I do think it's one of those things Kasima seems bound and determined to make excuses for herself, you know? It's true. It's true. So Sarah also, this episode, has to go back to pretending to be Beth. She walks back into the police station after Mrs. S has told her, hey, these cops came by my house and said you were dead. And I'm kind of wondering, do do you think she really had a plan going back to the police station? Or did she just think, okay, I have to deal with this? Let's just get it over with. I was wondering that too. And I kept thinking, why did she think that was really a good idea? Because don't you think that would be suspicious? That she just came like walking back in? Yeah, well, I mean, the cops link Sarah to the crime. They go find Mrs. S. Mrs. S tells Sarah. And then Sarah, posing as Beth, walks right back into the police station immediately following that. But Art had been calling her. That's true. I think that was really what she used as her in to go back to the police station as Art, because Art calls her at some point when she's talking to Felix, and she says it's Art again. So he's called her repeatedly. Right. But I, I guess I still think, I still wonder why she didn't think that might be suspicious, because she doesn't answer any of his calls, but then she comes back in after they go talk to Mrs. S. Maybe she he left a voicemail? But yeah, I just kind of, I wonder if she had some sort of strategy going in there or if, again, she just felt like, okay, I got to deal with this whole, they're saying I'm dead again thing. 
But I don't know. I guess personally at that point, I would have tried to stay away from it. But that's just me. Well, that's what I'm saying is she had been staying away from it. And then like, why did she not think that that timing might be a little? Yeah. A little noticeable. No, I have that question, too. What was her plan exactly? Why Why did she choose to, to go back to the police station? Because we don't it just sort of cuts to her showing up, and I get that, but we don't even get a scene afterward where she kind of explained to somebody her reasoning for, for showing back up at the police station. So I do have that question. So then we also have the scene of Sarah with Allison in the minivan, suggesting that they they out themselves as clones to their loved ones. I thought this was a good character moment for Sarah because she's a, this is a result of her telling Mrs. S earlier in the episode when Mrs. S asks her about the fact that the police are telling her she's dead again. Sarah responds and says, I don't want to lie to you, so I can't tell you right now. And to have Sarah, con artist, tell Mrs. S, with whom she had a very distrustful relationship at the beginning of the series, have to have her say to Mrs. S, I don't want to lie to you, that's huge. And then to realize that she doesn't want to be so separate from her family anymore because of this huge secret she's been keeping. Uh, you know, I just feel like it's a really big character moment for Sarah in this episode in regards to her arc. Yeah, and I do think it's significant that she said that to Mrs. S. I mean, in in the sense that, don't you kind of think that maybe Mrs. S wouldn't have necessarily believed her unless she phrased it that way? Which way? The I don't want to lie to you, so I or I can't tell you just yet because I don't want to lie to you. Yes, it's an extremely honest and forthcoming statement. I mean, it, granted, it's an honest and forthcoming statement that like I can't tell you anything, but it's still significant for that reason. I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, I agree that that too would be forthright in the fact that I could lie to you in this moment because I can't really tell you anything, but I'm not going to. So I'm just going to tell you. I can't tell you. <laughs> but we don't see, because Sarah proposes to Allison that her solution to her family problems is just to come out to Donnie and her family and tell them what's going on. But we actually don't see Allison do that. Well, I think it's kind of interesting, too, that that's what... Basically, they go and talk to Mrs. S first. Mm -hmm. And so I think... I guess in that scene, in a sense, Mrs. S kind of becomes mother figure to... Allison also. They talk about that in the scene itself that, you know, Allison says something about, you know, oh, Sarah, your mother's being so, or your foster mother's being so, so lovely about this. My, my mother would not be so lovely. Right. But yeah, I just, I think the fact that, that Sarah proposes the idea as a solution to Allison's problem and it's not actually something that Allison pursues really that we see in the end of first season she she does get back together with donnie ultimately but she does not reveal herself to be a clone which i feel like is consistent with allison's character i'm not trying to say that that writers made a mistake or anything like that because allison of the three of them does seem to have the most issues with being a clone but i i like that this was something it seemed very like liberating for sarah to tell mrs s the truth right and i think it's it makes sense to me that Allison would talk to Mrs. S about it before she talked to her own family, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was important that she had to tell somebody who was not a clone, somebody who wasn't in on a secret and kind of process it with them first before she could ever begin to think about telling her own family. I agree. Right. 
then we've got Sarah talking more to Mrs. S about her origins, which we got some of last week, but they're sort of revisiting it this week. And they mentioned the whole orphan black concept again and defined it very clearly. It's so much so that I had a moment where I thought to myself, did they not actually do that in the last episode? And I talked about, I know I talked about it on the podcast, but did I just conflate the episodes in my head? But no, they did say, they did mention about kids being in the black in the previous episode, but in this one, they defined it even more specifically in case you were gone last week, I guess. And then, you know, the scrapbook appears again and we, we hear Sarah asking Mrs. S to try to get in contact with Carlton to find out about her mother. Cause I think she points out very astutely that Kasima and Allison's mothers both were trying to have children. They, they wanted to have children and that's why they, they had IVF treatments for them. And so how exactly did she end up being the way that she, how did she end up being an orphan if the clones were all coming from parents who wanted them so much that they were pursuing IVF? Right. It's a really, really valid question. I really like what we get to see of Mrs. S in this episode, because I feel like we get to see a lot of different shades of particularly Mrs. S's maybe parenting techniques would be a good word. Indeed. Oh, Mrs. S. She's, as we talked about a little bit already, she's so sort of lovely and sweet to Allison, thoroughly drunk Allison. But Mrs. S, and Mrs. S is asking about her life and being very pleased with the fact that she went to university and, yeah, like being proud of her for accomplishing these things and kind of giving Sarah a hard time for not having gone to university. And it is kind of nice because she is very motherly towards Allison and you know, wants to make sure she gets up to bed and stops drinking. <laughs> yes, I like when she takes the bottle away from Allison. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty great moment because, you know, Allison just, I think without even really looking, just sort of starts grabbing <laughs> for the, the alcohol bottle and, and, and Mrs. S is just kind of like, no, no, dear. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you've, you've had enough. <laughs> So, yeah, so we see a very lovely kind of mothering Mrs. S toward drunk Allison. And then we see a firm but kind Mrs. S to Kira when Kira tries to go open the door to the to strangers. And then we see what I can only really think to describe as like nuclear grade Mrs. S <laughs> talking to Sarah and Felix after Arts and Angie have come to visit her. And she goes over to Felix's loft and... <laughs> She makes a threat of, um, she was tempted to claim, uh, whose remains were they? I guess they were Katya's. She was tempted to claim Katya's remains, chop them up, and serve them to them on toast. <laughs> and and I am not sure they didn't believe her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, she, she storms in to Felix's loft. Sit down and shut your gob. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Felix was appropriately, I think, concerned when when she showed up looking that angry. Yep. And then we also get to see in that scene, Mrs. S is just, again, her fierce protectiveness of Kira, where she tells, she tells Sarah if the situation she's in takes one step toward Kira, you yell fire, we'll take this life and we'll burn it all down and basically leave. I think that is, as we've discussed many, many times, the one thing that all of our protagonists in the show have in common is nobody messes with Kira. If you mess with Kira, you're toast. And then Mrs. S will serve 
Katya's remains to you on on you. <laughs> that didn't make sense, but I said it anyway. <laughs> I knew what you meant. It made sense. Okay. I also really love the interaction we get to see between Mrs. S and Art and Angie. Because when they show up, you know, Kira goes to try to open the door. Mrs. S stops her and goes to the window and looks out. And before she's even talked to them, she says, Kira, go upstairs, hurry. And when you, she answers the door, you can just, you know, feel the hostility coming off of her toward Art and Angie. She knew they were police officers before she even opened the door just by looking at them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is one of those things. I, I was reading a bit of commentary, I think closer to when the show was airing, and how it's sort of unusual, I guess, to see on on television that that reaction necessarily. I mean, from a, again, from a protagonist, this sort of overtly wary response to police, and that there is historically justification for her to do so. Right, because as we as we discussed in the previous episode, Mrs. S is from Brixton. We again see the clippings of the riots in Brixton in this episode. During that era that she was living in Brixton, there was so much hostility between police and citizens over especially racial tensions, but other tensions as well. And just the police were completely distrusted by the general public. And we really just and I mean, there are other reasons to be distrustful of police. I feel like probably Mrs. S saw the police more than once raising Sarah, <laughs> but it definitely her background as being from Brixton in that era, it comes through in this moment and through her reaction to the police. Mm -hmm. Speaking of police, let's talk about Art and Angie, because they found the evidence, or they found that the evidence linked to Sarah. So they found Sarah in the last, at the end of the last episode and this episode opens up with Art sort of obsessively staring at the picture of, I guess it's Sarah's mugshot. Sarah's mm -hmm. mugshot and Beth's badge, I think it was, or her ID, rather. So now it seems like Art is sort of obsessed with the clones also. Of course, he doesn't know that that's what it is, which is justification for a little bit of obsession, I think. Because it's, it's obsession born of confusion. Yeah, again, we have the police playing catch up to the audience in, in this episode like they were previously. They're figuring out things that the audience already knows. But it, it is, I still think, interesting and entertaining to watch them go through the process. I especially like their reactions when they finally get to the morgue and they see the picture of Sarah Manning or, the you know, the, the woman who killed herself. And it's just like completely stunned. Mm hmm. It's a justifiable reaction, you know? And and I think that's sort of the thing, too. It's it's not... Orphan Black is not a cop procedural show. If it was a cop procedural show, the fact that we'd be watching the cops playing catch-up, that would make for bad TV. But I think the fact that this show is more about identity and stuff like that sort of puts an interesting twist on it if that makes sense. As much as anything, this show is about people responding to the fact that they are clones. Mm -hmm. And for sure, this the main storyline for Art and Angie in this episode is 
is having to do with fingerprints. This is what we think of as a main marker of somebody's identity. And the fact that they're just finding all of these women who look exactly the same to them, you know, it's just completely messing with their idea of where our identity comes from, you know, what we use as markers of identity, especially in regards to, you know, their context as police officers. Though, again, we will point out that probably this is not accurate. (laughs) The clone should have different fingerprints, but we'll go with it. But you did notice in the episode, Angie actually mentions that. Mm Mm-hmm. That environmental factors do affect fingerprints, but twins can be close enough to match, I think is what she says. Or can, twins can be close enough to flag a match, I think is what she said. So they acknowledge it in in the narrative, at least, for what it's worth. I do also kind of like that we don't really have a definite sense of how Art feels about any of this. Because, I mean, he's clearly concerned about it but you're they're they're playing it in sort of an interesting way where you're not totally sure if it's concern for beth or concern about beth Mm -hmm. i do however feel like the sting of of art's betrayal though when he takes the picture that sarah has touched to run her fingerprints i always feel for some reason i'm like oh art why why you gotta I don't know why exactly, but but I just, I for some reason, I always hope that he won't do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I kind of feel like, you know, if he didn't do it, somebody else would. Because again, we see later that he basically tries to keep it under wraps for as long as he can. So mm-hmm. yeah, it could be a matter of trying to protect Beth still. Well, and clearly Angie was there. She would have done it. If he hadn't have done that. Right. That's partly what I mean. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think in Art's mind, he's thinking, you know, if if I can at least be part of the investigation, I can at least sort of control some of what's going on. Right. Is my sense. So we get to see Colin, the morgue attendant again, which always makes me happy because I think Colin is adorable. And and I like when, when Colin calls up Felix. And I think it's kind of sweet that he he's all, I couldn't lie, your signature's here and this and that. So I, I think it's kind of cute that he would have been protective of Felix if he could have. Damn paper trails. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as I mentioned before, I still wonder if Art maybe thinks it's a little too convenient that that Beth shows up right after he and Angie start investigating her and or her doppelgangers. But as I was mentioning before, I I just sort of wonder what Art thinks about all of this. And Stephanie's just like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you mean? No, no. I was trying to tease you about your, your strong Art feelings. Oh, no. I actually like Art in more toward the second half of the season. Okay. I know. He's more I'm... consistent in, in this <laughs> part of the season. I don't dislike Art. I just dislike his inconsistency in the beginning of the series. Okay. But he's more consistent now. I actually rather like Art in this episode, to be fair. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> so like we mentioned, Allison, I feel like, really gets the best plot line in this episode. And hers is really a very continuous narrative. Sarah's is a little more broken up. But Allison gets a really strong through plot line for this episode. And it's just, oh my gosh, it's so lovely and hysterical. 
It's basically Allison imploding. Yes, yes. As she would say, she tried to say F it, <laughs> but she effed it all up. And, and, you know, we get to see her smoking pot. And I loved that that idea that she had smoked pot when she was in Godspell in college. <laughs> also, I have to mention this. Is it just me or do you get the sense that Allison is a smoker, like a secret smoker? You know, that wouldn't surprise me. Because we have this in in this episode where... They start off the one scene where, where Chad's commenting on, oh, through the sunroof. And then Allison says, yeah, less need for air fresheners. Right, right. She knew how to how to vent the smoke efficiently. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and there'd been the thing earlier, She, when she was trying to play Sarah, she said something about needing a cigarette. And, and Felix is like, no, no, Sarah never smoked. Which is just, I mean, it's a random comment, but adding the two things together. I'm like, I think Allison's a secret smoker. I would totally buy that. I would totally buy that. It might be the the sunroof thing might be from her youth, maybe. But I would totally buy her as a current secret smoker. Actually, I kind of like that idea of her sneaking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it entirely could be from her Godspell days. It could be. But (laughs) I was just like, at some point, I was like, I think that Allison might be a secret smoker. Because it does make sense to me. I noticed something this episode when when Allison's been been smoking for a while, and I forget the exchange exactly, but it's it's something about Chad says, you know, cheers to finally getting Donnie off the couch, and she says, "Are you mocking my failed marriage or something like that?" And in those couple of lines, with that one and the following one, which I'm forgetting, her speech pattern is much more similar to Cosima's normal speech pattern. <laughs> Not Cosima's high speech pattern, but she sounds quite a bit like Cosima in those couple of lines. And I I feel like that might have been intentional on, on Tatiana Maslany's part because, you know, Allison's the uptight one. And when she's loosened up with pot, she sounds a little bit like Cosima sounds normally. <laughs> Interesting. I think I'd sort of registered that before, but had wondered if it was because Tatiana had been losing her voice. (laughs) That's possible. That's possible. Because I'm taking all the fun out of it, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yours yours is more fun. I'm sorry, go ahead. uh, No, I was just going to say, because Tatiana Maslany is very conscious of the different characters having different speech patterns. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm very much committed to the idea that that was an intentional choice on her part. I like it. To have to have Allison's speech pattern kind of change when she relaxes when she's high. As opposed to drunk, like we've seen her more often. Yes. Yeah, she definitely she doesn't sound like Kasima when she's drunk, but when she's high, she does. <laughs> oh dear. And then, of course, after smoking the pot, she sleeps with Chad in the minivan. And and it's hilarious. <laughs> it is. The foot on the window. Mm-hmm. And the coaching. <laughs> yeah, you're my coach. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. And then, it co- of course, it cuts to that glorious moment of her singing Meredith Brooks's bitch in the car. Is that what killed Tatiana Maslany's voice was singing that song? Or just in general, she lost her voice? I think she said she'd been getting sick already. Okay. And then they did that and she, yeah, basically lost her voice from doing that. So yeah, although I was thinking about it too. I mean, how perfect is that song for Allison in, especially in that moment? Mm-hmm. 
It definitely is. It fits in with her whole 90s thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's kind of about the various aspects of identity or personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what the show's about. (laughs) Exactly. No, it's it's a perfect song for that moment. And of course, we've, you know, we've mentioned before, it, it just clearly feels like that's the naughtiest song that Allison could think to sing along to. <laughs> do, do you think that's Allison's I'm home alone, I'm going to turn up the stereo and sing at the top of my voice song? I think so. I think so. Because she's clearly not ashamed to play Spice Girls when people are around. <laughs> that's one of, that's one of my, it comes on the radio, I turn it off, I turn it up and, and sing along very loudly too in the car. I won't do it in front of people, though. <laughs> uh, I might also do that, but anyway. <laughs> and then, of course, the the singing in the car leads directly into fighting with Ainsley. And first of all, we get the awesome shot of Ainsley standing outside in the middle of the street, yelling at Allison, who is still in her minivan. Ainsley's got some problems, man. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, do do ordinary people confront folks like that? That's never happened to me. I mean, granted, I've never slept with somebody's spouse, but I just don't feel like that's usual. <laughs> that's a pretty solid point. <laughs> I do kind of feel sorry for Ainsley in this episode, though, and I kind of get the sense at the, at the figure skating rink that she's jealous of Allison a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the way that she tries to really step in and kind of fill Allison's shoes, or or maybe if she feels like that might make her more attractive to Chad, because clearly Chad finds Allison's athletic nature very appealing. That's something so, I kind of can't get over, is Chad shamelessly flirting with Allison in front of Ainsley. That's because Chad's a horrible person. <laughs> well, sure. But, I mean, I don't know, I guess... There's that combined with the fact that every time Ainsley's response to Chad being awful is to be really awful directly at Chad, mm-hmm. you know, shut your stupid mouth and feed the kids or I just, it's not a good marriage. No, it's really not. Even if he wasn't, even if she wasn't blowing the roofer and he wasn't having sex with whomever, it, it's not a good marriage. Doesn't seem like it, no. And we really get the the ramping up of Allison's suspicion of Ainsley in this episode. She kind of had inklings that Ainsley might be her real monitor at the end of, of episode six. But in this one, it just sort of gets cranked up to 11. Well, not quite to 11 yet. There's still more to come. But she's a, she's a solid eight in this episode, I feel like. Yeah. And what's sort of interesting is that, and I'd kind of forgotten this for some reason, but at the very beginning of the episode... Sarah stresses to her, like, hold on, you still don't know who your monitor is for sure. Mm -hmm. And then later in the episode, we get Felix saying, oh, it's definitely Ainsley, which he'd said last episode, too, I think. Yeah, Felix was pretty convinced that it was Ainsley. But Sarah was trying to be more reasonable. (laughs) It's a losing battle, Sarah. Yes, indeed. With certain people, it's just a losing battle. Mm hmm. So then there's Cosima and Delphine. And first of all, Delphine has that sort of awkward and not remotely subtle meeting with Leahy. Because she's obviously standing around there waiting. 
And then his car pulls up, and then she gets in the car for, like, 30 seconds or a minute or something, and then gets out of the car, that the car drives away. And I'm like, is that supposed to be covert? Yeah, that's really not a very covert way to meet. The car should have at least driven away. (laughs) Right, you'd think. Yeah. Could they not drop her off somewhere? Yes, that was, that's a good point. That was not covert at all. And again, to me, even though Leaky was being somewhat affectionate toward Delphine, Delphine just seems uncomfortable when he's got her head kind of pulled into his shoulder. Which makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Just her eyes are really wide, and I'm just not, I'm just not entirely sure what's going on in regards to their relationship, and it makes me uncomfortable. Me too. But I did note when watching the episode this time, it occurred to me, it's, well, I should say, it's not that I never heard this line before, but I thought about this line in a new way, where they're talking about Kasima and Leaky's kind of pushing her to get more information about whether she's had contact with other clones, I believe is what she's, what he's getting at. And Delphine makes this comment that Kasima has to be the one to disclose, implying that per the, ram- the parameters of the experiment, she can't go tell Kasima she's a clone, Kasima, but Kasima can tell her, oh, yeah, by the way, I figured out I was a clone. Mm-hmm. Which suggests to me that somehow Leaky, Dyad, whomever, got a sense that Kasima was getting wise to the fact that she was a clone. Right. Yeah, I noticed that, too. And so I'm not sure if they knew that, and that's maybe why they put Delphine there, or if they sussed that out during the course of Kasima and Delphine interacting. Do you have any thoughts on that? I guess my thought on the subject, and I sort of wonder further, I mean, there there are lots of ways they could go with this overall, but part of me actually wonders if they maybe nudged Kasima along this path at some point, mm-hmm. even. I mean, I'm not saying they did, but I'm saying it's possible that they did. But yeah, it seems very much like there was perhaps an inkling that she knew something, and that's why they sent in Delphine. Yeah, that's my sense, too. Yeah, I I do feel like they made a deliberate choice to recruit Kasima. I mean, because otherwise, why would they send Leaky in, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they had Delphine really lead her to Leaky. Exactly. That's... That is where I'm going with this, yes. That they orchestrated events to get Kasima involved in some form with Dyad is the way things seem to be playing out. Right. So yeah, I think they they knew. Although how they knew necessarily, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I don't know either. But I, I get that sense as well, that somehow they knew Kasima was getting wise to the fact that she was a clone. And that's why they sent in Delphine. Well, to be fair, they knew about Helena, right? I mean, the fact that she was killing off clones. Maybe they knew that some of the clones there were collecting data to send to Kasima. It's possible. I'm just saying. So, you know, things things get sexy between Kasima and Delphine in this episode. Even though at, at first Kasima's all, I just want to make like crazy science with you. You know, things get sexy and actually sexy. Like, I'm not using sexy as a metaphor for, you know, having sex. They have a very sexy kiss. 
And I love how they juxtapose their very sexy kiss with the just like hilariously ridiculous sex scene between Allison and Chad. The minivan tryst is what I like to call it. Yes. I, I really like the way that they, they juxtapose those two moments. And it is so great because the, I mean, the music plays right into it or, or really helps the moment that, that transition. Cause yeah, the, the music's all sexy and Casima mm-hmm. and Delphine are kissing and the music's all like, yeah. And then <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then, and then like we get a smash cut. <laughs> To the parking lot, and the minivan's kind of rocking, and and the music goes to the sort of goofy Allison music. <laughs> yeah, it's very like light and playful, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the 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 encounter between Casima and Delphine, as a social scientist, I gotta say, I find what Delphine says about about sexuality and how you know. Uh, sex- sexual attraction becomes codified and it's, it goes against biological facts. I, I got, she could get into my pants with that speech, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a social scientist, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I actually was having a conversation with somebody earlier about how in, in fandom, it's often, people often talk about Kasima being the hot one. And I think partially that comes from the fact that Felix kind of calls her that at some point. But I feel like people finding Kasima attractive, maybe it's the dreadlocks and the glasses. And she's clearly an attractive woman. But for me, it's just like the brains. And so Kasima and Delphine having this very like adult sciencey discussion about sexual attraction is just like, oh, this is the hottest scene ever. <laughs> I kind of think so, too, though. Like, it's... <laughs> Yeah, because when I, I think I'd mentioned to you before, and maybe we talked about this in the Kazima episode, somebody had sort of really analyzed that scene that leads up to that, where, you know, Kazima sort of apologizes for kissing Delphine in the previous episode. And they were talking about how extremely respectful and polite Kazima is being that entire scene. She sort of keeps a respectful distance and basically trying to make sure Delphine feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't worry, I'm not trying to put the moves on you or anything, you know. Right, right. Like, I, I respect the fact that you're not interested. I still want to be your friend and I don't want it to be weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and she doesn't actually make any movement toward Delphine until Delphine basically already has her hands on her and is like pulling her in. <laughs> Yes, Delphine definitely makes the first move. And I think Kasima lets her, because even though Kasima says that's very encouraging, she really doesn't make a move toward Delphine. Delphine is really the initiator. Right, exactly. That's even though Delphine is all but giving the green light. Mm-hmm. Kasima's like, I'm not gonna do that again. <laughs> right. Right. And so a couple of things I always notice when I when I watch that scene. First is that there's there's such a height difference between Kasima and Delphine in that moment. I think because Kasima's barefoot or wearing flats and Delphine's wearing these boots. But somehow when they kiss, I guess maybe Kasima's on her tippy toes because they managed to be kind of on the same level at some point. And I'm always really impressed that suddenly she's, I don't know, she pops up about three inches. Or maybe Delphine also lay, leans down a bit. I don't know. 
And then the other thing that always kind of bugs me is that when Delphine's helping Cosima take off her sweater, Cosima never gets her right hand uncaught from her sweater. <laughs> yes, I get stuck on details like this. I hate having my brain, but that's what happens. Oh, you're not the only one who has talked about the the sweater removal. You are not. I've seen Tumblr talk about it. Like the 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 actors act through it. They don't let the the caught hand, you know, get in the way. But and it's still sexy. But I get I get hung up on the fact that I'm like, oh, get back. I wish she could just get her hand out of her sweater. <laughs> so you're sitting there like Cosima needs that. <laughs> <laughs> basically, basically yes. <laughs> I I think they're. It's not really the morning after, but their afterward scene. I think it's it's a rather sweet scene. And and Cosima mentions Eskimo pies, which makes me happy. Cosima <laughs> is being very, very sweet in that scene. Yes. And and I like that to go out she doesn't bother put on to put on clothes, she just puts on her coat over her underwear. It is cold out there, Cosima. I know. I worry about her, but <laughs> And she's sick. You'll make yourself sicker. And now I've made us all sad. But yeah, yeah, I, I gather from that scene that Kasima's probably a pretty good girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. She'll go fetch you Eskimo pie in the cold without mm-hmm. putting clothes and, on. Yeah, and make sure you're okay if you suddenly start crying. Yes. Though I do wonder if Delphine might have been crying for other reasons besides just, you know, I cry after sex with boys, too. I, I wonder if she might have been feeling guilty about the pretenses. I kind of assume so. Okay. But I don't know. Because immediately after that, or immediately after Cosima's very sweet and goes to fetch her ice cream, Delphine starts rifling through her stuff. Yeah. And uh, she finds what she's looking for and calls up Leaky and spills the dirt. Although I, I will say this, as she's basically ratting out Kasima. she does have a line in there about making sure that well first of all she says something about it's perfectly natural that Kasima's looking into the, all this you know her, her curiosity is mm-hmm. natural whatever it is she says mm-hmm. and um basically she's sort of still trying to look out for Kasima, and she doesn't tell leaky about kira yeah and from the scene in the car earlier because that's kind of how Leaky was getting her to do stuff. He's like, he's like, oh no, this is for Kasima's own good or something like that. Isn't that what he says? He says something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Basically using Kasima to get Delphine to do his bidding. My point being that even though it is, there, there is like the element of spying, I think there is still sufficient evidence that Delphine does actually care about Kasima. Yeah, I, I I do wonder though. I I want to believe she didn't just sleep with her because she was trying to spy on her. I I want to believe she had she was actually attracted to Kasima before that. I really want to believe in Delphine. I want to trust Delphine, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Still, I'm hoping by season two, season two will have me more hundred percent sure of Delphine. But I'm still. Not quite certain. However, I, I agree. In this episode, I think there is there are several moments that show that Delphine really cares about Cosima. She's not just some clone that she's watching. She has she has feelings for her. Right. Yeah, I, I really don't think that Delphine 
would have slept with Kazima if she didn't want to. Because, I mean, there there are other ways to, I would think, I would think there are other ways to spy on Kazima and go through her stuff than doing that, you know? Like, that would be sort of a uh, ridiculous plan, <laughs> is what I'm saying. No, I agree. I, I don't think, it was definitely not made implicit that that was the only way that Delphine could accomplish what Leaky wanted her to accomplish. So I, I agree. I tend to agree. I don't think that she felt like she had to sleep with Kasima. I think that she did want to sleep with Kasima. But I, I'm just protective of Kasima, so I worry. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what I'm hearing is you're as crazy as I am. Yes. <laughs> because I <laughs> We also, don't want her to go out in the cold. <laughs> I also am freakishly concerned about fictional characters. <laughs> Oh yes, I'm I get very protective of my of my beloved fictional characters and it's ridiculous, I know. I know they're not real. Don't start writing us emails. We know they're not real. <laughs> Do you also get lots of strange looks from from family members when you realize or before you realize that your family members are not fandom people and don't understand? I I occasionally do. I'm better though about holding it in and and not just going off on people who who don't really know what I'm talking about, but I have gotten a few over the years. I mean, I'm pretty good about it, but the the problem is that, like, my cousins especially are also into TV shows, but not to the extent that I am. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I forget, because we'll be talking about some show and how awesome some character is or something, and then I'll sound crazy eventually. But it was like, if you were in fandom, you'd understand. <laughs> So speaking of, of characters, we feel very protective of poor Helena in this episode. I just feel so sorry for her in this episode. Poor Helena in all the episodes, except for the first three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at myself, for the record. But yes, you know, we've got that scene of her curled up on the floor, wearing Sarah's jacket, clutching pictures of Kira. Which I assume Sarah had in her jacket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is also kind of sweet that Sarah carries around photos of Kira. Photos and a letter that Kira wrote her. I do think that's sweet. Yes. But yeah, it's more of the sort of obsessive and sad behavior from Helena. Not unlike what we saw earlier with them. Oh, well, like we were talking about in the fourth episode where she's staring in the mirror and muttering, I'm not Beth. Over and over and over again. Yeah, this is very much a repeat of a similar moment where she's just repeating a portion of Kira's letter over and over again. I'm curious, people who maybe maybe this is a Canadian candy. I don't know. But I feel like those little packets that Helena is eating is probably like flavored sugar or something like that. And in the United States, we have something similar. and They're called pixie sticks. But I'm, I'm curious if that's like a Canadian candy or something. And if there are any Canadians listening who could identify what those little packets are, or even Americans, if you could identify what those little packets are, I'd, I'd be curious to know. Or are they just sugar packets? Or are they? Yeah. The only thing that makes me think they're not just sugar packets is they have different colors on them. They don't all just have white and orange. Some of them have white and red and white and purple, mm -hmm. which makes mm -hmm. me think it might be flavors of some kind. Yeah. I mean, I had thought before that they were probably some sort of pixie stick type thing. Right. 
But yeah, if any listeners can identify what those little packets are, we'd be curious to know. And then, of course, we have, in regards to feeling bad for Helena, we have that just lovely, heartbreaking scene between Helena and Kira in the alleyway. Ah, and uh, we just, I feel so bad for Helena, who doesn't even quite know how to hug. Yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see her little hands coming around Kira's back and not really knowing what to do with them. It, ugh, it breaks my heart. Mine too. But of course, this show, doing its thing, it precedes that scene with Kira coming down the stairs and peeking out the window of the door, and Helena's face just sort of comes into view from the darkness. It's so frightening. It is. Even though you're, you're pretty sure Helena's not gonna hurt sweet little Kira, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. And everything about that shot is designed to completely freak you out. And it succeeds. I just, I, whenever I see that shot, it kind of makes me get a little cold. <laughs> As does the ending shot of the show. Mm, yeah. Which I'm sure nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're 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 going to save that for next week. <laughs> Because in regards to what happens to Kira in this episode, because it's rather traumatic and I don't want to go into it. <laughs> Fair enough. I understand. Okay. But when I was watching it through the first time, I think believe I sent Chris an all caps Twitter direct message of some kind just expressing my wreckedness over what happened to Kira in this episode. I believe Sally did the same thing. <laughs> so Olivier and Paul... <laughs> Uh-huh. They they have some interesting scenes together. I think entirely in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Olivier has never been more pathetic than he is in this episode. And I think a lot of that is because he's got bum scaffolding. <laughs> yeah, I know that's not the actual name for whatever that is, but I just love that term that you've come up with. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, because I was watching the episode and, you know, because they uncover it or the doctor uncovers it to to check on it. And, um, you know, they've got the sort of the, the sheet draped over it. I'm like, that guy has scaffolding over his bum to protect his <laughs> tail wound. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, Olivier is is totally pathetic. And we see Paul totally take advantage of the situation and see him blackmail the blackmailer. Which is kind of awesome. It is. It is. I, I mentioned when we when we talked about episode six variations under domestication that I actually really like Paul when he's in, in Terminator mode. I think the character works really well in that mode. And he's kind of semi-Terminator here. He's not quite trying to kill Olivier, but he's he's got those same sort of, you can see his military background kicking in and he's a little bit kind of like dark and insidious. And I, I, I like Paul that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course we've got the line, <laughs> classy pseudonym, bro, which, yeah. <laughs> as you may have picked up on, I'm a little obsessed with that line. It amuses me. I like the idea of his real name being Kevin. There's just something so ordinary about that name compared to Olivier Duval. And that that's what he chose as his pseudonym. <laughs> yeah. Olivier. Yeah. Olivier Duval. 
His name is Kevin. Not that there's anything wrong with the name Kevin, because there's totally not. No, no, I like the name Kevin. Hi, Kevin. But it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a very ordinary kind of like run-of-the-mill name compared to Olivier Duval. <laughs> Though I guess depending on where you are, maybe Olivier is more common. And then, of course, it's Olivier's swan song because Leaky has him killed while he's wearing his bum scaffolding. Yes, it's a very undignified way to go. Yes, it is. So thoughts on what he used to kill him? Any ideas? I don't know. I I don't actually know the various injectables that would kill somebody. Mm. See, I I guess I've watched enough procedurals that I'm like, why wouldn't he use like epinephrine or maybe something that was a little less obvious and maybe difficult to find in an autopsy? But maybe (laughs) injecting with potassium, large amounts of potassium, I think, can conduce a heart attack. But he was all foaming at the mouth and stuff. I was going to say, would that cause you to foam at the mouth? See, I, don't I don't know. I don't know what would cause somebody to foam at the mouth either. I live a sheltered life, Stephanie. Have you ever seen the movie? This is not a tangent, I swear. But have you seen the movie The Shadow with Alec Baldwin? Yes. Okay. I actually really love that movie. Nobody else seemed to. But I actually really like that movie. I, I did when it came out. Yeah. I was super into it. And you know how in in that film... At, uh, toward the end, the shadow character convinces Tim Curry's character, I forget what his name is, to basically jump out the window and kill himself? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, it, right before he does that, he's being kind of driven crazy by the shadow in his head. And because the shadow can like project himself into people's minds and make them believe things. And Tim Curry, he starts kind of foaming at the mouth. And David Richmond Peck kind of looks like Tim Curry. And so when, when Olivier is dying and he is foaming at the mouth, I'm like, is that Tim Curry? Oh, wait, no. <laughs> so maybe that was a tangent, but it was related to the show. <laughs> I find that totally acceptable. Okay. I was talking about Dark Angel last week. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reminded of, of Tim Curry's death in the shadow when, when Olivier dies in this episode. <laughs> awesome. As an aside, I, I do appreciate in the scene with Allison and Mrs. S, Mrs. S calls her chicken. I, I, yes, I do like that endearment that she uses toward toward Allison. It's pretty adorable. And then I also got to say, I, I feel like in this episode in particular, Tatiana Mazzani looks very short compared to the other actresses on the show. In particular, like I mentioned in the, the kiss scene between Cosima and Delphine, there's just such a, a height difference, but I think that has more to do with, with shoes. I do think Eveline Brochu is taller than Tatiana Maslany, yeah, but she is. not not quite as much as that scene would have you believe. But then when, when Allison and Ainsley are fighting, Allison just looks so tiny compared to Ainsley. But I do think the actress who plays Ainsley is actually quite tall for a woman. You brought it up. I looked it up. Natalie Lisinska, who plays Ainsley, is, according to IMDb, five foot ten. So yeah, I, so that's probably a good six inches or so taller right. than, they, than Tatiana Maslany. They have Tatiana listed as being five foot four, which incidentally is taller than I am. <laughs> so, but it, 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 there's the shot where I think Ainsley must cause this to happen somehow. But it it looks like Allison kind of gets thrown from one side of Ainsley to the other, and she just looks like a little child next to <laughs> next to Ainsley. She just looks so small and short. But she did still kind of kick her ass. Yes. 
I really wish. Yeah, I wish we had gotten a better sense of what that meant, but it's still, it's a great line in and of itself. I just like the way she says, I did, kind of. We didn't talk about that scene earlier, but I do love that scene with Allison and Sarah in the minivan. And Sarah in her kind of, kind of proud smile at Allison. <laughs> it's like, what? You shagged Chad and beat up Ainsley. You're cooler than I thought. <laughs> was kind of what Sarah's face said. Or at least in my mind, that's what Sarah's face said. Well, and she does actually say to her, you know, I underestimated you. <laughs> that's true. Yes. So I, I do, I agree. I think Sarah was pretty impressed with Allison in that moment. I do think it's interesting in that scene that Allison says that she degraded herself and she humiliated or embarrassed, I forget her exact word, her children. Disgraced her children, I believe is what she says. But she doesn't mention Donnie anywhere in that equation. Well, she's divorcing him. True, but she doesn't, ultimately. And she confesses in that scene that she doesn't really want to divorce Dottie, but feels like it's her only option. Well, after you've hit a guy in the head with a golf club and then shoved him downstairs and then burned him with hot glue gun glue, you know. Yes. Yeah, well, you know. They're they're having, they're having some tough times. <laughs> Tied him to a chair with duct tape and yarn. That always cracks me up. Duct tape and yarn. And it's like the crafty kind of duct tape. That's right. She has like a whole skein like wrapped around his waist or something like that. I think it's several different kinds of yarn, actually. Okay. If I remember correctly. Oh, huh. Okay. So I did a Google and and maybe they killed Olivier with cyanide. Because <laughs> that does cause foaming at the mouth and it's very fast acting. And it causes convulsions. And he was kind of convulsing. With his bum scaffolding. With his bum scaffolding. So that's my that's my new theory. Okay. <laughs> so let us know if you have any theories on this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can send us those ideas in a variety of ways. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com. You can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com. Or you could send us a voice message by clicking on the Send Voice Message tab on the right side of the website. You can also follow us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And this week, the Eskimo Pies were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>